This is the Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks, with expert advice from Pittsburgh CPA, attorney, and retirement and estate planning expert, Jim Lang, the best-selling author of Retire Secure and The Roth Revolution, Pay Taxes Once and Never Again. Now, let's talk smart money. And welcome to the Lang Money Hour. I'm Dan Weinberg, along with CPA and attorney Jim Lang. This week, our guest is renowned economist Lawrence Kotlikoff. Professor Kotlikoff is a renowned professor of economics at Boston University. He served as a consultant to the World Bank, the IMF, and several Fortune 500 companies. And in 2015, he was named by The Economist magazine as one of the world's 25 most influential economists. Dr. Kotlikoff is also the author or co-author of 17 books, including his latest, Get What's Yours, The Revised Secrets, to maxing out your social security, which was a number one Amazon bestseller. Our primary focus over the next hour will be the future of tax reform. Both President Trump and the House have their own tax plans, and Larry will help us understand the nuts and bolts of each plan, how they're similar and different. He and Jim will also talk about what assumptions are safe for you to make and how you can act to maximize your investments in anticipation of these proposed changes. With that, let's say hello to Jim Lang and Larry Kotlikoff. Well, welcome back, Larry. I always enjoy having you on the show. You have uh, given us tremendous value in your analysis of Social Security. You have spoken about um, some of the uh, political issues, particularly as it regards to the economy. And you've also talked about importance of running the numbers. And I understand that you have some new software that we want to talk about for that. But the thing that really caught my interest is that you were just in the in the Wall Street Journal, I believe, on May 17th, and you had an op-ed, and you were talking about the um, both the Trump tax plan and the House tax plan. Could you give our audience kind of the essence, if you will, of that article that appeared on the Wall Street Journal? Uh, sh- sure, Jim. It's great to be back with you. Um, uh, the so. We have this uh, major um, uh, tax uh, decision in front of us. There are two competing Republican plans. There's the House uh, Better Way plan that was developed about a year ago by the House Ways and Means Committee, the Republicans on that committee. And um, and then we have the President's plan. Now, both plans are um, pretty regressive when it comes to the personal side uh our personal income tax uh, uh, taxation. Both plans cut the top rate. Um, the House plan goes from like 39.6 down to 33. The the Trump plan goes down to 35 percent. Uh, they get rid of other things like the alternative minimum minimum tax. Uh, so there are some things that are uh, regressive. There's there's a few things that are progressive on the personal side in both proposal proposals, but uh, Taken by itself, the personal income tax side is going to be a money loser. It's going to be regressive. But then if you look at the business uh, tax reform, it's actually a reform that economists like myself uh, and other public finance economists have been pushing for for a long time. And it's almost identical to a plan that um, Alan Auerbach, who's a longtime colleague of mine, he's at Berkeley, uh, professor of economics, uh, he designed a tax reform on the business side back in 2010, and it's actually a very progressive uh, element and uh, a much better business taxation system than we now have. So if you combine the two parts of the, um, of, let's say, the House Better Way plan, the business side reform and the personal side reform, the, the business side reform is progressive and will help bring in some more revenue. The personal side is regressive and loses money. Uh, the the two together, if the economy responds, uh, as some of my simulation studies suggest, could actually be revenue neutral uh, or and even make a little bit of money and basically maintain progressivity at where it is now. So I think the better way – what I wrote in the, in the journal is that the better way house plan is more progressive than people think and it will generate more revenue than people think and just be – you know, the um, – the essence of um, the reason why it's uh, the, the business part is progressive is that it's taking us from having a very high marginal corporate income tax. It's been estimated that we have the highest uh, or, or pretty much the highest of any developed country. So what we've been doing 
in recent years with our with our very high uh, marginal tax on and on investing in the U.S. is driving investment out of the U.S. driving companies out of the U.S. and when companies uh, and their investment dollars leave the U.S. they leave the workers behind. So when you really look deeply at the corporate income tax that we now have, you could come to the conclusion, which I do, uh, which I hold, that the corporate income tax is really an, a hidden tax on workers. It it has this very high marginal tax on investing here, but it actually doesn't collect a lot of money because of the loopholes that uh, there are. So it, it collects um, uh, half of the amount of money you'd expect. And so if you got rid of it entirely, you'd be getting rid of a tax that really is hurting workers, not the rich. The rich are just taking the money abroad and escaping the uh, the corporate tax. Uh, and I know re- re- Democrats may not think that, but uh, they're not economists, and, and this really is an economic issue, not a political issue. So you're starting with a, a, a tax on wages, uh, and then you're going under the House Better Way plan to the combination of essentially what they're proposing is a value-added tax plus the subsidy to wages. Uh, so if you look at exactly what's getting taxed, it looks like a standard uh, European-style value-added tax. It's collected a little bit differently than they do in Europe, but ultimately it's a value-added tax and a subsidy to wages. Now, the key thing here is that a value-added tax is really taxing consumption because uh, that's just, you know, if you look at exactly what a value-added tax is going after, it's really tax, uh, an indirect way to tax consumption. We would think of and that as a, as a sales tax. That's the way most... Yeah, it's like a sales tax, but it's just done in a different way. So the language is different, but fundamentally it's a, a like a sales tax. Now suppose you had like a sales tax, a consumption tax, and you know that workers are going to have to pay that out of their wages when they go to buy things, and that people with wealth are going to have to um, pay the sales tax when they spend their wealth. So it's really a tax, uh, a consumption tax is really taxing wages and wealth. So, uh, but this particular uh, business proposal, tax reform proposal, is not just a value-added tax. It's a value-added tax plus a wage subsidy at the same rate as the the tax rate on consumption. So that wage subsidy is compensating the workers for having to pay taxes on consumption. So you're going from this current situation, which is a a tax on wages, to something that taxes consumption but insulates the workers from it. And then the only people that are really going to get hurt from that uh, value-added tax are people that uh, spend by consumption based on their wealth. So you've, in effect, gone from a tax on wages under the current corporate income tax to a very subtle but nonetheless very real tax on wealth. So here you have the Republicans. Think how ironic this is. You've got these Republicans who are uh, proposing, uh, as part of their reform, to unburden the tax on workers and put a tax on wealth. I don't think most Republicans understand this. I don't think most members of Congress get the economics of what this what it is they're proposing but that's what they're proposing and most democrats don't understand that they should be applauding this because they they're natural if um if some republican like uh senator grassley uh came out and said i'd like to uh, lower taxes on workers and put a wealth tax on in, in place nancy pelosi would be overjoyed uh if they do the same thing with different words Nancy Pelosi is going to call it regressive. That's what she's doing. So what we need to do, Jim, is to have this tax bill passed and then written in two – it has to be passed in, but written up in two uh, different languages. One's uh, the uh, maybe being in English for the Republicans and in Spanish for the Democrats. <laughs> and when you translate the, the Spanish version, it would sound like – it would desc- describe it as a – reduction in wage tax, elimination of a wage tax, and a tax on wealth. And uh, economically, it wouldn't be, you know, uh, then the, the Republicans would be uh, happy. They'd get their bill passed. The Democrats would get their bill passed. They can claim to all their supporters that they just passed a wealth tax. And, and the economy will pick up because <clears throat> we'll go from having the, one of the highest, if not the highest, 
taxes on investing in our country to the to the lowest, to actually a tax at the federal level of zero. Now, there's still state ta- corporate taxes, <clears throat> which are significant, but uh, we've simulated this in, in a very large-scale model, and I mentioned this in the, in the Wall Street Journal article. I've been working with a team of economists in Russia and my grad students here and some other economists uh, for several years now to make a very elaborate um, a global model. And when you simulate U.S. corporate tax reform in the model, you get a big impact. A lot of capital comes in, wages go up by about 8%, GDP goes up by about 8%. And this is, uh, so there, <clears throat> so, so this is actually potentially, uh, you know, a really good proposal. And it's not coming from just right-wing Republicans. Uh, the business part of this proposal was really designed by a, a nonpartisan, uh, apolitical, top-notch uh, public finance economist named Alan Auerbach, who I've written with since grad school. We were in grad school together, so we've written uh, books together and all kinds of articles. We're working together uh, right now. And uh, I mentioned him in the in the uh, article, in the Wall Street Journal article, because we have a study on my website, which is kotlikoff.net, which is a joint study we just released last week, which assesses the um, uh, this uh, House Better Way plan. The Trump plan, um, we're not so keen on for a couple reasons. There's In the House plan, there's something called the border uh, adjustment tax, and that's a very important component of that proposal to make sure that uh, all of consumption is taxed that Americans do. We have a true consumption tax. And all these other European countries that have value-added taxes have this border tax adjustment. So it hasn't destroyed their economy. We're not talking about putting a tax on imports. It kind of has that uh, initial appearance, but the exchange rates, this gets a little complicated, but uh, exchange rates adjust so that there's no real bias towards um, exports or uh, away from imports. It's just um, a wash on that score. So there's no change in the relative cost of imports versus exports to American consumers. So Walmart, which has come out of, in opposition to this um, border adjustment tax, uh, doesn't either doesn't know what economics they're, you know, they don't understand the economics, same thing for the Koch brothers, or they're playing a deeper game, which is they want to have this border tax adjustment part of the plan eliminated, and then what you end up with is a tax on consumption, a value-added tax, a wage subsidy, and then, get this, Jim, you end up as a, with a third component if you don't do the border tax adjustment, which is a subsidy to net imports. So think about Walmarts. Walmarts is importing a lot of stuff, right? Sure. They would love to see a subsidy to imports. It would help their business. So we, we want to do it the right way. And we can't leave it up to the politicians to to describe this or the press. The press has been misdescribing the House bill for uh, especially the New York Times uh, in article after article. They've been saying that the this border adjustment represents a tax on imports. It doesn't really. It's just part of when you tax consumption, you have to tax all of consumption, including goods that people consume, uh, that they buy uh, from abroad and consume. That's, uh, you know, part of consumption. So uh, so it's not really a tax on imports. It's not changing our desire to buy American versus foreign goods when you uh, look through carefully at the proposal. So I think the uh, House plan is something we should adopt. I also said in the, in the op-ed piece that we should, uh, just to make sure that this thing doesn't lose revenue and that it absolutely is progressive as the current system, we should get rid of, at the same time, the ceiling on the FICA tax, so, and that would produce about $300 billion more in revenue. And our country is really desperately broke, so we need more revenue. And, you know, the reason we have so many uh, bridges and other infrastructure that are crumbling is because we're broke. The reason we can't fund, um, uh, you know, the National Science Foundation to the tune that we did in the past, or can't have as much defense spending as we haven't had in the past uh, is because we are broke. We have been spending decades uh, take it, you know, engaged in take-as-you-go, taking money from young people, giving it to old people who spend it, 
uh, in a variety of transfer programs, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, uh, and they've consumed more. The young people have been left with uh, these bills. And right now we have all these off-the-book liabilities to, to my generation. I'm in the baby boom generation. And all my Social Security benefits, for example, are not on the books. All the Medicare benefits I'll get in the future, not on the books. Um, if I ever need Medicaid, it's not on the books. And uh, this stuff just swamps the official debt, and it's not going to be um, – uh, it's not going to go away just by keeping it off the books. So what we have is a kind of an Enron situation where the government has been hiding uh, the liabilities off the books for decades now, both parties – and our true debt is about $200 trillion right now. It's not $20 trillion. If you look at the way economists measure uh, a country's fiscal position, they look at all the spending that is scheduled to happen in the future under current law, and then they look at all the taxes, and they take the present value difference. Uh, so they value in the present all that future spending, and that spending included, includes servicing official debt. So we're talking about every single dollar going out, every single dollar coming in, the net fiscal gap, in the U.S. is about $206 trillion right now, and our official debt is $20 trillion. So the true debt number is 10 times larger than the one that's being reported, uh, and that's because the Congress uh, does not want to uh, come clean with the public, and I think, frankly, the public doesn't want to hear the truth because I think that we're collectively engaged in a in a uh, effort to expropriate our children, and that our parents did that to us, and now we're doing it to our kids, and uh, our kids are hoping to do it to their kids. And that's the way of Argentina. That's a path downhill, and our country has been sliding downhill in terms of economic progress for decades. And and that probably also applies at the state and local level um, when you have enormous unrecorded debts like pension liabilities that are understated. Absolutely. It's the same, same take-as-you-go take Ponzi scheme game and uh, uh you know you're you're hearing from somebody who's not partisan i'm not a democrat or republican um i actually ran as a uh, writing candidate in the last in this last election i didn't get any traction because the press was too interested in donald trump's um you know verbal bowel movements every day uh, and so we're stuck with that um with with him uh, as opposed to discussing real policy so I was running against both candidates, so I think your your listeners should know that that I'm not somebody. I'm somebody who thinks that uh, politicians politicians are um, are not our friends. I think they're basically lower life forms. Well, this this we, isn't this yeah. isn't the first time you've you've run, and you've you've always um, said that you need a, like an adult who understands economics in the White House, and what right. what really. Uh, why, one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on is because here's this bright, objective, um, really superstar economist who is saying something really good about the Republican plan. Um, and I thought I, I'm, I'm going to question a few a few of your assumptions there. Um, sure, go ahead. But, <clears throat> um, well, one of the assumptions that I that I do have to question, and maybe. What you're going to say is the corporate plan is going to overcompensate for the uh, personal plan. But you said that there is, and this, by the way, is exactly the opposite of we had, uh, what was his name, Robertson Williams? Robertson Williams. Uh, Robertson Robert, Williams. Robertson. Right. Bob, 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 Bob Williams Jr. is basically, yeah, I went to school with his, with his dad. Right. I went to school with his dad. I know, and I know um, uh, Robertson uh, very well. All right, so he, what he, we, we had him on the show, and he said that the tax cuts were almost certainly going to increase the deficit substantially. And then he cited, you know, when Reagan cut the taxes and when Bush cut taxes, that the deficit went way up, and he thinks it's going to be no different. He thought that, and he was estimating, I think it was around $10 trillion for the Trump plan, maybe $7 trillion for the House plan. And he said, well... Yes, maybe the increase in um, economic output will maybe save a, save a trillion, but you're saying, hey, wait, no, even though there's going to be massively less taxes, um, that this, the 
stimulant to the economy is going to be so great that it's going to be never revenue neutral or even a plus. So that that's going to be the assumption that I'm going to question because I don't think sure, there's sure. I don't think there's a historical precedent for that, is there? Well, in general, um, these supply side um, miracles that you know that Republicans have been um, talking about trickle down. are not feasible. Yeah, trickle down. They're they're not feasible. Um, for example, if you cut personal income taxes, uh, just do that. Uh, there's no way that that's they're going to actually pay for themselves. You're just going to run a de- bigger deficit in the future. You're going to have to raise taxes. The economy in the long run will be worse off. Our model shows that uh, as clear as day. But the but but the House plan doesn't just have that going on. It has this uh, change in the structure of business taxation, which can actually pay for itself and uh, stimulate the economy and produce um, a, a lot of uh, a lot more revenue to offset the losses on the personal side so that you end up with about a uh, you know our estimate my my estimate with Alan is that we would lose about two hundred and twelve dollars two hundred and twelve trillion each year, which is close to the uh, tax policy center's estimate without incorporating any dynamic feedback. But when you incorporate that, you end up with about $38 billion per year in positive revenues on, on net. Now, I don't know what um, method they're using to estimate the feedback effects on the economy, but I, I've i developed with, as I mentioned, I think, uh, it was, uh, well, I have this 17-region uh, global model that's probably the most detailed uh, Computer simulation model of the world economy that exists uh, anywhere on the on the planet, and we've been working. This team of uh, economists that I've been directing has been working on this for about four years now. And when you run that that model, you see uh, a pretty short, strong impact. I mean, just think about it. All these companies have, you know, all the major U.S. companies have a lot of activities going on abroad, Ford, Apple, you name it, they're producing a lot overseas, and they're moving, some of, the, some of them are moving headquarters overseas. Uh, you know, part of that is because the labor is so cheap, part of it is the, you know, ability to communicate with the internet, part of it is, uh, uh, well, you know, that they've got some good, uh, you know, you can you can do business right over the, the uh, Mexican border, and so you're very close uh, uh, to to your um, sources of, of production, but uh, part of it is is also the tax system. Part of, part of it is the fact that our uh, effective marginal tax rate, according to uh, Jack Mintz, who's a public finance economist in Canada, highly respected, has been working on these calculations of international comparisons of marginal effective tax corporate tax rates for decades now. Um, he just came out with a study, said that our, our, our current rate is around 34.6%, uh, essentially the highest of any developed country. If we f- did what the House plan uh, suggests, it would drop it down to about 16.4% uh, in that range, 16.6. So it would produce a, a dramatic reduction and a much bigger incentive to invest in the U.S., and I, I think that's a real thing. I, I, don't, I don't think that um, uh, that should be ignored. And that should, according to our simulation model, produce about an 8% increase in GDP and wages. And that will generate enough revenue to offset the losses of revenue from the uh, personal income side cut. So you're talking to somebody who thinks that supply-side economics can work in very – in uh, in this circumstances, in circumstance, but not in every circumstance. There's just a very few set of circumstances where supply-side economics actually makes any sense, and, is that, and, and this is one of them. So this is why Allen proposed his reform. This is why I've been, we've written papers together about moving toward consumption taxation away from income taxation. This is why President Bush, President Bush, uh, this, you know, GW's tax reform panel proposed something that's very similar to the House uh, business tax plan. It's because economists think that this can work. Uh, And and I think what the tax policy center is doing is using uh, 
they they look at just your current year taxes versus your current income. So Warren Buffett could have uh, very little current income because he hasn't realized any capital gains. He could look super poor in their analysis, and somebody who's uh, you know paying who's you know earning fifty thousand dollars a year could look like he's paying a very high share of his taxes, but uh, of his of his current income in taxes and. The whole thing can look very regressive, but if you look at um, the, uh, if you look at it from a different kind of uh, uh, analysis, if you look at it, at it the way economics says to look at it, which is, don't compare an 80-year-old with a 20-year-old because the 80-year-old has already paid all their taxes or most of their taxes over the lifetime. The 20-year-old's got all their taxes in the future. So look within a cohort, like take 40-year-olds. Look at what they're going to pay over the rest of their life, and what they're going to get on the rest of the, over the rest of their life. Look at their net present value of taxes, and uh, look at their lifetime, remaining lifetime average tax rate to understand progressivity. And that's what we're doing. And so I think that we've got a much more sophisticated, economically sensible way of looking at progressivity. That um, and it really comes down to. Uh, the inequality in, in lifetime spending uh, and remaining lifetime spending is, uh, and we have a pretty progressive fiscal system when you look at it this way. It's, there's still a lot of inequality, but when we, we ran, you know, over about a five-month period, we studied this tax bill, and we we looked at all the aspects of the tax reform, both the personal and the business. It looks like it's as progressive if, uh, as the current system when you do the analysis the right way. So I think the TPC, the Tax Policy Center, um, as much as I respect those guys, have just terrible uh, progressivity analysis. They, they don't get it at all at that issue. And I don't think they're getting at the, at the feedback effects correctly. Uh, and this doesn't make me a Republican, uh, just because I'm saying this. I did want to mention that even though we're talking about what, what is generally known as macro, that is large economic issues, um, Larry is a genius at what I would call micro and has two resources, um, both relatively new, that I think would be very important for people, many of our listeners, and people who are interested in having some control over their finances. The first one, which is probably the best book out there on Social Security, um, is Get What's Yours, The Revised Secrets of Maxing Out Your Social Security by Larry Kotlikoff, K-O-T-L-I-K-O-F-F. Uh, Larry would prefer that you buy it at a local bookstore if that is available. If not, Amazon or Barnes & Noble would have it. And he also is a serious number cruncher and has certainly done that at the macro level, but he also has developed software at the micro level. Um, I have looked at some of his previous software, which I think the world of, and just had a client come in and just loved it, but the most recent version is called Maxi, Maxify Planner, M-I-X-I-F-I-P-L-A-N-N-E-R.com. We will get to that later on. But we, we had just talked about the House version of the proposed tax reform, which uh, Larry seemed to give a pretty good grade. Um, so, Larry, can I actually assume that you've actually read and really studied this, this version? Is that correct? Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the House plan is pretty detailed. There's a bunch of issues about the transition that aren't clarified. The Trump plan is about one page long and uh, is very unclear on many important details. Uh, one of the things I don't like about the Trump plan is I think uh, the pass-through entities like self-employed uh, people and uh, subchapter S corporations, limited, limited liability companies, uh, they get taxed at 15%. So if you're working for, like myself, I'm working for Boston University, I'm an employee, I could uh, quit, hire, BU could hire me back, I could uh, take all the income that BU pays me as uh, consulting income and uh, get taxed on it at 15% rather than the top rate that Trump is proposing, which is 35%. So he's got a proposal that invites massive tax evasion and just the elimination of progressivity because everybody who's above a 15% tax bracket will have an incentive to play the game I just mentioned. So I think that's why it's, um, you know, right on the space of it, it's, it's a, 
uh, not an intelligent design. And then the, uh, they're not doing the border tax adjustment, which is, I think, critical to really make sure that you tax all of consumption, whether you import uh, goods from abroad or buy goods domestically. If you consume them, you should be subject to the tax. That's the whole idea of this um, value-added tax. Uh, so, so Trump loses points on those two counts, and I think also the thing would not generate as much in revenue uh, primarily because of the tax evasion uh, or avoidance uh, potential. So I, I like the House plan. I, I think that the Trump, that President Trump, uh, we've seen shoots from the hip, and from one day to the next, um, uh, he's got a different idea about what to do. But what we do know from that behavior is that he doesn't really know what to do. He's not an expert. He doesn't have um, uh, great economists around him. He got this idea from Steve Moore, a former who's uh, considers himself an economist, but he's really a, a journalist and a political uh, operator. Uh, and um, so I know where this the Trump plan came from, uh, and, and it's not a really uh, good place from the perspective of academics. Let me just po- point out one thing, quick thing, Jim, which is that this book I wrote, Get What Yours, The Revised Secrets to Maxing Out Your Social Security, has two co-authors, Paul Solomon, who's the uh, PBS NewsHour economics correspondent, and Phil, Phil Muller, Muller, who's a, a longtime personal finance columnist. So, uh, and, it, and it did become the New York Times bestseller, number one bestseller for a couple weeks, and number uh, and a top ten bestseller for uh, about a half a year. So it's um, it's done well, and it uh, it will help you navigate social security, which is incredibly difficult. And a Maxify Planner is a tool to not just help you with social security, but with retirement account decisions, annuitization decisions, find safe ways to get your living standard up. Uh, it's like robo-optimizing your living standard. It's not like robo-investing you. It's robo-money-making um, uh, you, Ma- figuring out a way to uh, make money uh, uh, from getting more benefits, paying fewer taxes over the rest of your life. Um, so let's get back to the Trump plan for a minute, if we could. And, and I just sure. wanted to clarify the pass-through. So, so for example, let's say for discussion's sake that um, that I am in the tax in the top tax rate um, um, as a self-employed individual, or that I have a an LLC and the I am taxed on the income that my t- company makes, which is actually accurate. So what would happen under the Trump plan, and let's say, assume right now I'm in, on the top tax bracket, what would happen then in the, ta- in the Trump plan is I would be taxed at 15%. And let's say that I had a secretary um, who was making, say, $60,000, and let's say her husband was making $60,000. They would actually be in a higher tax bracket than I am, or I would yeah. be under the Trump plan. So, so right. let so let me ask you this. Um, so, you're you're a professor and you're still you're still teaching, and let's say for discussion's sake that you decided as an interesting project that you would give your students the job of writing a um, a, ta- a a tax reform plan, and let's say that somebody handed in. Uh, let's take the two extremes. One, they handed in the Trump version. And two, they handed in the House version. And let's just say that while you didn't have very, very specific goals, uh, one of the one of the things that you mentioned in the assignment is you didn't want to blow up the deficit. You wanted to stimulate the economy. You wanted to have some fairness factor, um, perhaps both with within the country and even um, outside that. H- how would you grade the House plan? How would you grade Trump's plan? Well, if if the if the House plan were modified a bit to to get rid of the ceiling on the FICA tax, I'd give it an A. The way it is, I would give it a somewhere between a B plus and an A minus because it's still risky whether we're going to get the economic feedback that these stylized simulation models suggest. But um, I would I would give it a shot. I would go for the the House uh, plan if I if I remember Congress. I would if that was it versus keeping the current system versus the Trump plan, I would vote for it. The, the Trump plan I would give, um, at this point, a B- minus to a C, because I think it's uh, uh, too risky. I think it's going to cost too much money. I think the 
the potential for evasion. You know, your secretary you just mentioned uh, and her husband can both become consultants back to their their employers and also go taxed at 15%. So it's an invitation for everybody above the 15% bracket to disguise all their income as business income. And uh, we get rid of – we have a massive loss of revenue and also – uh, the end of progressivity. So it's really a stupid, stupid plan. You know, this president is supposed to be uh, as smart as it gets, according to his, um, you know, that's what his reflection in the mirror every morning tells him. But um, this is one of the dumbest uh, proposals I've yet seen, just on the face of it. Now, maybe they've got something that they know about, they haven't told told us that would restrict this kind of evasion, evasion problem, or tax avoidance, uh, this game play, gaming. But it's incumbent upon anybody who um, uh, they had a long time to think about what to do, and they put out this half-baked thing uh, over a few hours. That's the way this guy operates from the hip, and it's getting him in a terrible hot water. He he really doesn't know what he's he's like unhinged. Um, but I could go on at length. <laughs> well, I'm I'm, I'm actually surprised that you gave him a B, B minus or a C. I was expecting. Um, a D or even or even an F. Well, if you know if it's as bad as it could be, it would be a D. You know, if it's really, if there's no, I'm thinking that somebody grown up, if it got into the Senate or in the House, that they would put some restriction on that kind of game playing, where I could sell my services back to BU, um, that um, that would be restricted. So I think it would probably end up more like a B minus. But if it got passed exactly the way it's on paper, it would be an F. So let me ask you another question. There, there. You know, when you, when you were explaining the House plan, um, now I'm I'm let's say I like to follow these things, and I I am a CPA and an attorney, and I was following m- most of I think most everything that you said. How many people do you think in the House really get it? Either and again, either the Republicans or the Democrats, because. Uh, from my understanding, the Democrats are thinking that this is the most regressive um, tax proposal they've ever what I'd heard. What like I to do is lock the entire Congress into a room where I have a big whiteboard and or blackboard and show them the economics, you know, show them the national accounting, show them why that uh, this proposal of the House Better Way Plan actually is a tax on consumption and a wage subsidy. It won't take more than about 15 minutes. It would require eighth grade um it's just addition and subtraction. I think they could handle that. Uh, so it's not, you know, and then and then you start the conversation from a position of knowledge. Uh, right now we have Arkansas senators being pressured by Walmart to oppose publicly the border adjustment tax, but you can see in that little addition, you know, national income accounting with some uh, addition and subtraction that you need the border adjustment to actually fully tax consumption, tax to tax all of consumption. And if you don't have it, you're effectively taxing all of consumption, but in addition, subsidizing imports, which is uh, net imports, imports net of tax, you're taxing exports and subsidizing imports, which is exactly the opposite of what Trump campaigned on. So uh, we're, you know, this is beyond Alice in Wonderland. This is, uh, this is, uh, <laughs> This is why I say, you know, if we can write the bill in two languages, we could get the Democrats to go for it and the Republicans to go for it, uh, because neither side really under, understands what it is that um, they're they're talking about. Um, and I think that's, you know, when it comes to banking reform that they're considering and uh, health care reform, they've got uh, – they, they just – uh, they don't have good thinking, uh, solid economic thinking underlying what they're doing. I think the House Better Way Plan, somebody pretty smart uh, got in there and put that together. I don't think it was Paul Ryan um, or the current chairman of the House Ways and Means, but somebody on the staff who really knows about taxes or some consultant uh, did a good job. And when the Republicans do a good job, uh, somebody should say, hey, good job, let's go for it. And that, in this context, you know, Nancy Pelosi should look at it and say, "Yeah, we can live with this." But uh, why don't you get rid of the ceiling? Will really help you. So, 
we to do a major tax reform, we need bipartisan support. Same thing with health care reform. And um, I see so far uh, uh, this very divisive uh, administration, very divisive Republican Congress. They treat the, the Democrats like they're um, worse, more, you know, a bigger enemy than the Russians. Uh, you know, it's it's not the way to to run the government. It's um, it's a prescription for deadlock and for nothing to get accomplished. So, uh, meanwhile, we got the stock market booming because we've got irrational traders who think that just because uh, Trump says this is going to happen, it's going to happen. It's just uh, not reality. Well, that, that's actually a whole other issue, trying to predict the up and downs of the market. But let me, let, let me continue on, on this track, because I think, it's, I think it is important. When you were, let, let's even assume for discussion's sake that you are right, that the better way really is a better way, and if it was passed as written in whole, uh, maybe in Spanish for the Democrats to, to um, go for it, maybe in a different language for Republicans to go for it, what I fear is, and and what the way you have analyzed it, you're actually analyzing all the parts. What I fear is maybe during committee conference or um, at some point that there are changes that will, let's say, keep some of the things that might be attractive to Republicans, for example, lowering tax rates, um, eliminating the AMT, alternative minimum tax, eliminating the estate tax, things that they want to do, but, for example, not doing some of the things like the import um, adjustment that you're saying that is critical to the whole plan. Do you fear some bastardization of the plan, if you will? Yeah, I think Trump is really bastardizing a very good plan. That's basically what he's doing. He's he's taking, uh, he's going uh, too far on dropping the, the pass-through tax rate, um, and the business tax rate from uh, from where it, where it currently is is 35 percent. He wants to drop it to 15 percent, and uh, and make the personal tax 35 percent. Well, there's a big difference between paying taxes at 35 versus 15. That's a huge incentive to try and become a small business, uh, make yourself transform yourself into a small business, and just pay at 15. So, and then he is getting rid of the uh, not including the border adjustment tax. Which is critical to make sure you're taxing all of consumption, no matter where you, the goods come from. And if you don't have that, you're effectively uh, subsidizing imports and taxing exports. This is exactly the opposite of what he campaigned on. I'm not in favor of uh, taxing imports and subsidizing. I'm not in favor of putting on tariffs at all. I think his notions uh, about trade are just delusional and. Uh, that that NAFTA NAFTA has been a great thing for us. We should be signing the TPP. We should be doing a deal with um, European Union on free trade. We should be pushing for free trade with everybody we can. Uh, and uh, so he's just uh, you know um, out to lunch, and he's got a, an economic advisor called Peter Navarro, who um, just. Uh, you no know, economist would recognize him uh, as a, a true economist, given what, the kinds of things he said, like, you know, the Germans are manipulating their currency. They don't even have their own currency. They've got, they're using the European Union, uh, European, the, the, uh, the euro. So uh, I, I think I'm <laughs> digressing here, but um, yes, Trump is undermining the, the better way plan, and there's a good chance that it would get screwed up um, by the Senate right now, you know, I think the Senate is going to possibly save the the health care reform because the House so badly, you know, screwed that up. They passed a terrible bill that's cruel and mean and nasty, and is going to put 24 million people out of uh, out of uh, eliminate their coverage, their insurance coverage. It's just the worst possible uh, thing to to pass. I think the Senate will come up with something better, and maybe health care reform doesn't happen at all because the House won't go for what the Senate comes up with, but that'll be that. Um, and then we'll have Obamacare being uh, undermined by by Trump and uh, a lot of people out of 
out of luck when it comes to health health insurance. So that's that. Then we've got uh, this other very important policy, which is tax reform. And uh, again, Trump is taking us down the wrong path. Let me ask you this, and this this might not be a fair question, but I'll ask it anyway. So this is this is my limited analysis, not having uh, great economic um, education or abilities. My analysis is um, something is going to pass, and that it is going to lower the tax rates, and um, that even if the better way, let's even say you're right. And the better way will actually um, reduce the deficit instead of increase it. But let's say that it, my thinking is all the things that are in it right now are not going to survive. Um, some of the regressive things like eliminating the estate tax, eliminating AMT, lowering the tax rates will survive. The deficit will go up again, and then either a different administration will then raise taxes um, so I was kind of looking at this as a Roth IRA conversion opportunity, um, particularly if they do lower taxes. Do you actually think that that's reasonable? Or do you think that, hey, no, taxes are going to be lowered and that's going to be the way it is for the next 25, 30 years? Well, well I know, uh, Jim, you're uh, probably the world's expert on Roth conversions. And absolutely, if the tax rates come down, uh, uh, this would be the time to consider seriously a Roth conversion uh, the um, because that, that that opens up the because if they come down now there's a good chance they're going to go back up in the future uh, unless everything's done right so that we actually do get the economic stimulus that we're uh, simula- simulating but if they just start cutting taxes and kind of ignore the impact on the deficit, uh, this could lead to um, it is true that there's going to be a, a rationale for capital to come into the country investment to come in because the tax rate on investing in the US would be lower but on the other hand a lot of the investment money would be buying up at this additional government debt that's printed and it won't so that inve- so not all the investment will go into building uh, new factories, uh, new equipment, uh, uh, new residential structures. Uh, A lot of it will go into buying up uh, government debt, which then has to be paid back by future generations. So so there's this – so deficit finance in the context of actually trying to stimulate your economy can be a very uh, negative thing. It can undermine the – the stimulus, and that's all part of our our model. When we, if we run uh, our model, which is producing this eight percent wage increase and eight percent increase in GDP, with a big deficit uh, as part of the package, you don't get that kind of a stimulus. You might get a three percent increase in wages and GDP, but not eight percent. So, uh, so the model is kind of the bread and butter, you know, economics model. Uh, the it doesn't uh, have any magic, any black magic. And when it shows that you can, uh, you know, if you if you think about taking any really well-conceived model and doing, for example, a uh, putting on in place a 100% uh, wage tax, for example, and then um, uh, uh, what would happen? Well, in in, in in such a model, people wouldn't work. Uh, the tax wouldn't collect any revenue, and cutting the tax from 100%, let's say, down to 75 or 50%, that would produce, you know, lead people to work, produce some revenue, and so that's an example where supply. You can have a supply side miracle, if you like, which is cut taxes and uh, actually stimulate the economy and have the the tax cut pay for itself because you'd actually get some revenue in, whereas you were getting nothing in before. And that's um, uh, part of what can happen here uh, under the House Better Way plan because the the corporate tax rate is so high, the marginal rate is so high, but the average rate is so low uh, that if you get rid of the the thing entirely, you can actually get 
more revenue, uh, more investment in the country, and that can help stimulate the economy and uh, raise wages, and then you get p- more personal income tax revenue as a result, and that will um, uh, help pay for itself. So, as I said, it, uh, there's not that many uh, ways that we can um, be more efficient, but this is we do have this option right now, given how screwed up our fiscal system, our tax system is, that we can actually achieve a um, uh, an efficiency gain uh, that's significant. Well, I, I'm I'm afraid we are out of time. We didn't spend as much time talking about uh, social security as I would have liked. But um, the let's say that the quick takeaway for for people is to um, buy the book, which I completely recommend, which is called Get What's Yours, The Revised Secrets of Maxing Out Your Social Security. And then for the quantitative types, now we we run numbers extensively in our office on a personalized basis, um, but perhaps for the do-it-yourselfer, Maxify Planner, M-A-X-I-F-I-P-L-A-N-N-E-R.com is Larry's newest software, and he has done some great service. He also has one, a package for divorce. Um, the conclusion, by the way, is you probably can't afford to get divorced. But, Larry, it has been a pleasure, as always, to have you on. And I want to thank you for um, really informing our audience about both the House and the Trump tax plan. My, my pleasure, uh, Jim, and let's do it. Do this again soon. Okay. I'd like so that. much. All right, and we are up against the clock, so I will simply thank Jim and our guest, Larry Kotlikoff, and stay tuned, listeners, for some more information about how you can get in touch with Jim Lang. For now, I'm Dan Weinberg. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time for another edition of the Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks. Thanks for listening to the Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks. Check out our show archives and listen on demand anytime at paytaxeslater.com. Our radio listeners can receive free tickets to Jim Lang's Pittsburgh area workshops and more. Call the Lang Financial Group at 412-521-2732 to reserve your seats and meet Jim Lang in person. Or visit paytaxeslater.com. That's paytaxeslater.com.